Nothing makes you happier when trying to come back from a computer catastrophe. Slowly rebuilding your ability to like do anything in life at all than to finally get Brian Wolfmuller back on the line to continue talking about the end of the world and then have for a very random, intricate, soundboard-related reason only your voice record for the first eight minutes and he doesn't get to be heard at all, so you get to start over. This, I mean, Brian, this has been my life. It is oh. everything I've tried to do. Oh, my goodness. Lord have mercy, and I mean it. Suffering produces patience. Uh. <laughs> patience produces character. Character produces hope, and that's what we're talking about, hope. Uh, this is true. Imagine how, how – so someone – we were asked this question the other day. How long do you think it would have taken for the iPad to be invented if the fall into sin would not have happened? Oh, intriguing. And and we and it, 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 I was trying to press the point because for whatever reason, when we think about the resurrection, we think it's like going to Middle Earth or the Middle Ages or something. Like there's no electricity or cell right, phones. Right, right, right. It's like why, why in the world not? Or is there not going to be cell phones? Goodness. I remember – Are going to have to walk everywhere? I remember a, a, a cult leader event in my life, I think, a, a huckster for sure, college age, uh, you know, uh, coming back into the church, going to a pretty decent Presbyterian church on Sundays, but doing like the intervarsity stuff midweek and blah, blah, blah. And I, I heard on I – have, I have ever – I know I've talked about this, but I don't know if I've talked about it in your hearing. There was a little radio station in Northern California that I would listen to in my little studio apartment when I was trying to uh, crawl my way back out of despair and into the church. And it, it wasn't K-Love. I'd play K-Love, you know, the rock and roll stuff when I was driving around. But when I got back to my apartment, I'd play this little AM station called The Candle. And The Candle would play these like really bad old, you know, uh, Christian recordings, you know, uh, uh, his eye is on the sparrow, like that kind of stuff. And uh, I found out later it's a Seventh-day Adventist station, which is problematic um, for many reasons. But I learned about, through an advertisement on it, a guy who had found Noah's Ark and the Ark of the Covenant. Wow. So how could I not go listen to that, right? I mean, right. whoa, cool. I want to hear about this because obviously it's true. So I got a buddy of mine and we drove out and it took us – I didn't realize how – this is before Google Maps, right? So So – it took us probably an hour and a half to get out in the middle of nowhere in Northern California, and we end up at this, like, I, I want to call it a camp, but it wasn't a camp. There weren't tents. Like, it was houses and barns, and, like, it was big, right? Like, it was a Seventh-day Adventist city in the middle of nowhere, and this guy was going to be presenting there. And uh, uh, this is going somewhere connected to your technology thing. Uh, and, you know, he was showing us he found the Dead Sea. By the Dead Sea, he found where Sodom and Gomorrah was. He's showing us, like, the uh, the sulfur that he picked up that proves that God did that. Um, and uh, uh, he's been up to the, the ark, you know, Noah's ark, at least once or twice and found it. And that's that'll connect to the point of the story. But then the Ark of the Covenant thing was really fun. Uh, you know, it's buried under Jerusalem in some caverns. Uh, he didn't see it, but the guy he was working with did, and they scraped some of the— um, the blood they found off of it. And so the idea was that Jesus was over it when he died and it dripped down through the earth and hit the ark, which is kind of poetic. Wow. It's poetic, right? But they scraped some of the blood off and then they'd been able to reliquify the blood and he could show us video of the living cells that he'd been able to – it was like, dude. And I actually wrote, I wrote a fiction story out of this. Wow. Um, so I was a creative writing major 
And I wrote a little short story about how someone had found the blood of, of Jesus of Nazareth and they had decided to clone him. So they made a clone of Jesus of Nazareth. The only problem was that he was not actually the incarnate son of God, but he had all of his powers. And so he just, he was the Antichrist. He destroyed the world. And, uh, um, I, man, I think this keeps going. Uh, atheists in my class loved that story. They thought it was really funny. And my Christian friend was like, you shouldn't make them happy. I'm like, well, maybe I should rethink that then. But, the, <laughs> um, but when he was talking about the Noah's Ark, the part that just sparked my imagination, even though I think the guy's a complete huckster, I, I, I love this idea. He's like, yeah. And like, we were, we were able to see and in the walls uh, where there were broken pieces, you could see, and he had these pictures. He's like, these like, cables and effectively fiber optic cable, right? So like they're running fiber optic cable through the arc in order to manage the tech, which is handling the boat, which then they're unable to rebuild in shorter lifetimes after the flood kind of thing. And I'm kind of like, why not? Like, why not? Why do we assume that these guys are living 900 years? Why do we assume they didn't figure anything out? Right. Right. We do though. We're like, oh, they were cavemen. Right. we're morons because because we think we're so smart. I mean, we just assume that the evolution. I I you know, I told you this every day. I realize how how my thinking is evolutionary. I mean, you ask me if I believe in evolution, I tell you no. But then I realize that when I think of the ancient world, I think of a bunch of knuckleheads and how much smarter we are. Now there is true that you know some things are cumulative, like knowledge, and and we've accumulated knowledge so much that uh that it obscures the fact that the things that are and we've talked about this too the things that are reborn in every generation like wisdom has been diminishing more and more or moral fiber or insight or capacity for beauty and art these are diminishing in humanity and and it's covered up by the fact that we have an increasing this increase in the techne so it's and so we think back and and we think of the ancients and we think of them as as ignorant and foolish, whereas they were, I mean, the capacity that they had, I mean, it just, it's just the very fact that like right now, a, 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 most people cannot go sit down and, and read and comprehend Shakespeare. And, and this for us is like the highest of art or something. Or, and for them, it was just, you know, it was the, it was the sitcoms. <laughs> uh, and, and, and we're going to sit there and call them dummies for, hmm. I mean, anyway. No, you're, you're 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 right on that. There's there's an arrogance to the modern age that really came about in the Enlightenment, and one of the marvels of the Enlightenment is how wrong it's been about a lot of stuff. Uh, and yet, the, we're, so we've managed to like learn that they were wrong about many things, but the assumption of being smarter than those who came before we have not unlearned. Yeah, even though I mean, and part of it is because we're looking back on them and saying, well, they didn't know it was just you know just the 1800s, but like. We haven't managed to figure out that the thing we should learn from that is then then we don't know either, and we just should just know that. There's this great uh, uh, storybook. It was a picture book, uh, and it was titled Noah, and it had it just it was, it was this kind of big book that I saw in the library when I was walking through it with my kids a, a year or so ago, and it had it was great drawings and it had this picture of Noah. And he was designing the ark, and it kind of walked through the thing, but it showed Noah's house. Hmm. And and he had this big room with this big drafting board, and hmm. he was hmm. drawing out the statistics and everything. And then it showed him going into the forest and and these huge, big, massive trees, and his sons are there. 
and he's got this workshop and he's building it with That's all these cool. cranes Do you know who and did levers it? and everything. No, I can look it up. I um, would love to see that. That look that sounds you would, awesome. You would really like the art because yeah. um and then and there's a there's this great picture where Noah and his wife they're expecting and then another picture with Noah and he's he, him and his wife they're dancing and they've got a glass of wine and <laughs> well he it's, he it's beautiful. He did like his wine, no doubt. He didn't waste any time getting off that arc. It takes a while for those those vines to grow. Um, evolution. Uh, it sparked something. So so I have – we were talking about getting things done a little bit before we recorded. So you know what has, has died in my, in my recovery phase here has been the weekly review. My current inbox – I have two of them actually, unfortunately, at the moment. It's like we're, we're around 75 captured thoughts from like the last three weeks, maybe more. That are just dying in there. And one of them is this one, though. You just remind me of. I haven't looked at it, but I know it's there. I hope it's there. <laughs> and that's – I've been thinking about evolution as a concept and how – I mean it's, it's such a political word. And so like you said, you know, you know, you believe in it, although you want to philosophically reject it. And I realized something. I realized that uh, it, it, as, as a marketing and a branding tool, evolution – doesn't really mean what the science that we've actually observed says. It, it's a it's a religious philosophy about things with assumptions about materialism or not, you know, miraculous possibilities or not. Like that's all built into this brand of evolution. But the thing that evolution really discovered, what Darwin figured out that's like quite right, is adaptation. Like there's a marvelous ability of creation to adapt. I think this is uh, what entrepreneurs love too, by the way. We love trying to adapt. There's something, there's something gamified about the adaptation of life. Now, evolution proposes that adaptation is a creative process, ex nihilo, out of nothing. That's its philosophical move, right? So it's not, mm -hmm. it's not that it proposes adaptation exists that's the problem. It's that it believes that adaptation adapts with nothing into something. As opposed to adaptation being a receptive process of taking what's already there and then – and I, I would call this a creative act of God even like – I don't know which, which commandment I would put this with, but probably fourth. Um, a creative act of, act of God, the law built into nature, it can't die. Creation itself can't die. It will adapt. It is driven to on, on a level that's beyond instinct to the point that – when you look at what people say about evolution and they point to genes and mutations, all this stuff, all the variation that comes about as a result of adaptation is based on receiving what was already there and using it to its best possible conclusion, not creating something new. Right. Yeah? I love this, and I want to start teaching adaptation as like my – like I want to have a video like, like I'm a Christian who loves evolution – but then just start rebranding it as an adaptation. Uh, I don't know if I'll get there. I want to write a book about it. Oh, pff, I won't get there either. Uh, but I think the idea itself is so key because we we should we need to stop hating growth, the development of complexity, the ability to improve circumstances, and and we need to rejoice that God built it into the dying creation. Like we can't die. We're dying, but we can't die. Right. And He put it there because He loves us. It's marvelous. That, I mean, that's the main difference because when, I mean, when Darwin saw an adaptation, he saw the creation of something new, 
Whereas, whereas we understand that these things are already there just by the, by the creative word of God. Yeah. Um, there's some, which the science bears out though. Just, I mean, just don't miss it. The science bears out that what is changing the big shapes were already in the DNA. They didn't create new DNA. The big shapes were there. They just removed the other DNA. God put it there scientifically. Right. Well, and, and, and that DNA is fundamentally a word, which yeah. is, yeah. which is yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, that, that there's a word, a language that's spoken and, and, and heard. I mean, this, this kind of wild thing that even the DNA is a, is a double strand so that there's a speaking and a hearing in the very fabric of the stuff. Are you familiar with epigenetics at all? Have you heard, learned about any of this? I think I've heard of that. So epigenetics is when, <laughs> it's so awesome. It shows how little we know. So like, like 30 years ago, it's like, okay, DNA, genes, we're going to pinpoint a gene for everything. It'll all explain everything that happens, right? And, and so now, you know, they give you a test, and if you got this gene, you're going to get that. If you got this gene, you're going to get that. But they're finding, like, that's not true. There's percentages. There's, there's chances and increases. But it's not, there's no 100% in any of this stuff. And, and money of it's not even like, like a 90% chance. But what they're finding does influence it just as much, if not more, is what they call epigenetics. So, so you, you probably remember from high school physics, if you, you might have been really bored, but you remember like, like four colors that then would like pair with each other across these two swirling yes, yes. strands, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, and, yeah. and then maybe you remember that they were in, they were in sets of three. And those sets of three came in then sets of nine. And that that was like the language of the code in the DNA, right? That's your genetic code. What they're finding is that based on the swirling and crinkling of the strand, I wish you could see my hands right now, the swirling and crinkling of the strand as it hangs out in the cell, it turns on and off various areas of that code on purpose and creates a new layer of worded code across the top of the whole thing. And it can do this That's multiple crazy. times. And this is influenced by what we eat. It's crazy. <laughs> it's absolutely nuts. So that so that if you eat something dangerous or or poisonous for so long, it will actually start to turn off certain things. Probably as a protection thing, uh, or perhaps so you don't pass on your genes. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's amazing, man. Uh, and, and so this is they're just beginning to study this. So when someone tells you, you know, you took a test, you're going to get it. Well, it's just it's just. In fact, they've even shown that you can reverse stuff, right? So you can reverse. Uh, certain conditions or mitigate them uh, by uh, well by stopping the thing that's making the genes do what they do, which creates the code. But it's all code. It's all code. Okay. It's, it's just uh. it's a conversation. It's and, and it's a multi layered conversation. Yeah. It is a bit. I mean, it's just right. it's like it's like blockchain down there, man. It's absolutely nuts. I don't know anything about this blockchain. Oh, stuff, that's but... fascinating stuff too. Yeah, I know. I should have. What I want to know so, is no anyhow. Blockchain no Blockchain's supposed to be unbreakable and we had Google like three weeks ago say they built the first uh, what's it called now? Uh, it's not a virtual computer, um uh, a atomic computer. Like they're trying to make computers out of like the nucleus of atoms. Which sounds crazy and stupid, but the theory is that if they do it, it will it will like a million times X our fastest computer now. So would that be able to break blockchain? And if Google does this, my goodness, the Terminators are coming, man. The Terminators are coming. If Google does this, it's just Google's going to rule the world. It's scary. Anyway, no, no, change, change the topic. Go ahead. Now, okay, so this is um, – the danger with evolution is it, it, it makes everything technical. It, 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 reduces, it reduces the universe to a techne, to, a, to this monistic sort of thing that's defined by – by change, 
And 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 this is how I, I notice it when it creeps into my own mind, is that we become. I mean, just uh, we and uh, this is also. I mean, for reviewing things we've discussed before, this is this is this danger of thinking of history and and the future only in terms of the things that change uh, rather than the things that are. One of the reasons why I like your adaptation thing is because it, there's a way that this is already there. It's the the, the change is there already, so that I'm not defined. I don't want to. When I think of the future, I mean, I could try to imagine the Google blockchain whatever but i could also think hey there's going to be sinners who are redeemed by the blood of jesus and mm-hmm. there's going to be the church and there's going to be the family and there's going to be life and there's going to be people confessing the lord's name until he comes back and that the major and the important things the important things in life the things that really matter are the same things that adam and eve had the same things that noah had the same things that david had the same things that that Mary and Joseph had the same things that Peter and every and that you and I have. These are the same. The the major, most important things have been the same from beginning to end. And we can't. I mean, that is very important. That 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 understanding of of God's institutions and God's construct of the world that it is in that is indestructible is has to be fundamental to our Christian thinking. Now, if you're talking first article, I don't know that my next comment matters, but if you're talking about second, third article, salvation and uh, redemption into holiness, then that is a direct contradiction of the dispensational thought. The the, the heart of the dispensational thought or the, 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 the skeleton of dispensational theology is that God changes how he saves people at least seven times throughout history. Mm-hmm. There are no institutions that last forever. I don't. Th- I, I think they would agree with the creative side of it, and that's. I think that's that's evident. But I, maybe that's the question. Then is how can we assert that God has only ever saved one way? It, isn't this interesting how this dovetails into the many paths to God thing without even realizing it's happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like when you, when you, when you're a Christian and you get mad at the there are many paths to God meme that you see. If you're a dispensationalist, you shouldn't be mad because you believe there are seven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. It, I mean, and Jesus is only one a, of them. There, it's it's hard to find a classic old line dispensationalist. It might be harder to find one of those guys than it is to find a like a five well, point. But they're though. they're all they're all that they just don't know it. So they're mm-hmm. they're parodying mm-hmm. like the like the cream off the top of the thing. Believing us what the Bible says, and they have no idea where it came from. And but though, I mean, they really are resistant to questioning it. And even when you show them where it came from, they don't want to. They don't want to believe that's really where it came from. But they want to cling mm-hmm. to this idea. That gets to another thing altogether. You know, this is just humanity. What, what was it I watched? Oh, I don't know if I should talk about the specifics, but a documentary recently about a certain industry. That said a certain thing for a long time that Americans believe to be true, which may not be true. And um, the one of the the people being interviewed, a reporter who spent a kind of a lifetime studying this, uh, he, he said, you know, the issue is that how are you going to, after spending forty or fifty years of your life doing, saying one thing to people, believing it's helping them, how are you going to process that it was wrong? It'd be kind of like if we found the body of Jesus. Exercise. Yeah, go for it. No, no, I'm I'm hoping it was exercise that they were lying about. <laughs> well, 
honestly, not directly, um, but well, I, I don't want to get into it too much. Or you, you just will be lazy. Um, that reminds me. Okay, so here's a whole other thing. Tangent. We'll come back. I'm listening to a podcast uh, uh, with Kevin Rose interviewing. Uh, I don't remember the guy's name, but they're developing this product called the Halo, and it's just the first of many which you'll be seeing eventually, uh, if not in stores, then in um, uh, kind of uh, rehab-style medical facilities. And what it is is electrostatic magnif- uh, magnetic stimulation of areas of the brain in order to enhance various things. And what they've shown beyond any shadow of a doubt is that this particular thing, I don't know what it costs yet. I was going to look it up today. This particular one called the Halo, you can buy it. Just go buy it. Uh, it might be 5000 bucks. I don't know. But if you, you put it on for 20 minutes, three, four times a week, and then you go and you practice something technical and physical, a basketball shot, piano, something like that, muscle, motor, memory. You practice, do your, your most technical practice then, and you will over you, you will over the course of a month – have a 20 to 30% increase in gain and retention because it, what they do is they enhance the neuroplasticity of the brain that enables it to learn faster. That's nuts right there. That is absolutely gnarly. Now, that was coming out of uh, the idea of, oh, you sent me on this, Brian, um, uh, documentary and or things. Oh, so he made this joke. He's like, he's like, it won't just make you more athletic if you sit on the couch. If you wear it and then sit on the couch, you'll just get really good at sitting on the couch. So that's kind of where, where your your question is. Right? I'm already pretty good at that. That's right, right. How do I get even better? You know, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm to take it and then go to sleep and get really good at sleeping. Sleeping. Well, that, damn, that, that ain't that the trick. Uh, but going, going back then to that, that comment about the human ability to own error and how little of it we have, how, how challenging it is for any of us to say, I built this and it isn't going to last. It isn't ultimately good. And yet, shouldn't that be the one thing Christians know how to do? Like, isn't that what we do every week when we say poor, miserable sinner? Mm hmm. Like it, it's built out of sand. No matter what it is, it's going to fall down, and it's it's racked with my own corruption. And we we can't. I, I find we can't do it. And so I guess my question is sort of like, well, is it is it one of these just well that's just the way humanity is, or are we are we just less pious than we think these yeah. days? I mean, it could be both. Uh, you know, I mean, the two things can be true at the same time, I suppose. So. That could, that could be, but, but there's, I don't, so this whole realm, I, I, I don't have, and, and you're a couple of steps ahead of me here and, and, and I'm not even chasing. I mean, I'm not even sure where to start, but the, this idea of what, how, how our, how our bodies and how, how the mm. edges between the things that we think are pretty hard are not so hard as we used to think. Yeah. Like yeah. the, if, I mean, the edge between the body and the soul is maybe not as clear cut as we'd like to think, or the edge between the body and not the body are not so clear cut there there as we used to think how much our environment affects us and so forth. And, and, um, you know, I mean, even how we, we know this in some ways, I mean, just how we become different people when we're tired versus when we're not tired, right. which is. Which is strange, you know. You would think that if we were just computers, the computer does the same thing until the battery runs out, and then it stops. It's on or off. But we're not that way. We, we're very different. 
And um, I don't know. I don't, I, but that's all I know is that I, I, I see the, I see where the question is, but I, I don't have any clue towards the answers, and I'm not sure where to look scripturally. I mean, it might be that this is all first article. I stuff think it is. Has, I really think it is, and we've been so. deceived into thinking this is the this is the lie. We think body first article, soul second article, and it's just not true. That's the denial of the resurrection to begin with. Right. And the soul is not a second article thing. You know, what is it, by the way? We don't know. It's it's a Greek word that we overuse because we tr- use it to translate a Hebrew word that really doesn't mean what the Greeks meant. Now, in the New Testament, they do use the word soul sometimes, but not all the time. These words spirit a lot, too. And, and so we just we have this really fascinating conundrum of a, a term that probably is as, as believed on as the Trinity. Right, uh, which which really doesn't capture whatever the Bible is saying when it talks about the nephesh. That's the Hebrew word, the nephesh, the life essence, the the spirit within you, the being that you are, whatever that might mean. And so, so that's just one thing by itself. And then how how tied are we as nephesh to the body? Because I think what we think is that the nephesh is one thing, the body is another thing. But you know, just the fact that when you're hungry, you're more likely to sin in multiple ways. Right, whether it's anger or whether it's gluttony, that alone tells you that your nephesh, your life essence, is not separate from your body at all. Uh, it's right there with your body. Now, Christ says, "Spirit is willing, flesh is weak," but I don't think that's about soul and body. That's about the Holy Spirit, and then us, body and soul, the flesh being weak. And Paul, when he talks about the flesh, I mean, he's not just talking about your body; he's talking about your your wicked, fallen, inherited from Adam, original sin spirit, right? So it's all there. I'm probably a heretic on this, Brian. I don't know. I mean, I really, I do need to get pushed back on at some point for these the way I'm thinking on this. But and and of course, it's it. You could say that the danger here, Pastor Fisk, is that you're you're doing that Eastern meditation thing, which by and large is breathing and focusing mostly. Uh, but there's this moment where, and I've used the Sam Harris app, and I um. I've recommended it because it is it is not religious, so far as I can tell. But there's this moment where it kind of is, and I'm 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 actually kind of tired of him doing this. But it's not wrong either. But it's gotten to, to itch me a little bit now, more and more. But what I don't like is I, the problem is not what he actually says. The problem is that I know where the conclusion goes, and I believe that there is a a, a different conclusion now. Um, sorry, I do have to, to do a text message right now. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, uh, so what happens is, you know, you get you get into the 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 state of trying to feel into your body. Like you close your eyes, you feel your body, and one of the things you can notice right away, but you never would think about it until someone says do it, is if your eyes are closed, you're trying to feel your body. You do not feel the shape of your fingers. Instead, you feel like a cloud of tingling, right? But you don't like feel that what you would picture your fingers to be. Your whole body is kind of like that. And you can kind of move your way here. Like you can feel all of it at once, the whole body cloud of, of feelings. And you can feel the breath going in and out of that kind of focus on that. Um, you can, you can, with your eyes closed, notice that it's not as dark as you think it is, that there's like a, your visual stimulation is happening. And if you, if you're having thoughts, oftentimes you will even see them, right? You'll see the pictures and that's how, and science shows that's happening in your eyeballs, which is nuts. Uh, uh, so, uh, all that's going on. And then he, he takes it to this point where he says, 
Now, you know, you're trying to have each moment be one of experiencing where you are. And the thoughts keep coming and distracting you and you kind of keep coming back to the main thing. And that's that's where the practice is most helpful, by the way, is you're training yourself not to be distracted by your own head. It's like a muscle. Um, but you're coming back to your own thing. And he says something like, when the thought stops, when you, when you look at the thought itself, where does it go? What is it? And you're like, well, it was an electrical current in my head and now it's gone. So it's not there anymore. It's nothing ultimately, right? Uh, it's, some, it's, it's a chemical reaction in my head physically. Interesting. So spirit and physical tied together there. And then he says, now who thought it, right? Look for the thinker. Try to find the place in that cloud of experience where you thought it. And you can't. And you try, who's thinking it? Look for it, that person. Quickly turn and look. And inside your, your body, like there is no location. There's no center hub inside your head where your thoughts come from, right? You're looking for your soul at that point. And what, what the Buddhist philosophy, if I'm understanding it, does with this is it says, see, you don't exist. Hmm. And experientially, they're right. You can't find you inside your head. As long as you ignore something, your body. So what I do now, every time that happens, is he says, you know, where are you? Right? And I'm like, I'm right here. And, you know, I actually probably am a little less pious with a, with a mother something, you know, in, in my head. It's like, you know, shut up, leave me alone. Um, shut <laughs> Hulk in uh, Endgame, you know, shut the front door. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but this is it. So it is my body that is thinking these thoughts. It is my body that is feeling these things. This is who we are created to be. And, and if, and when the, the counterpunch from the Christian is, okay, so when you die, what goes to heaven? I don't know you, me, not my body. I don't know, but we have to be able to say that's not the created goal. We weren't made to do that, and so there's no way now for us to possibly distinguish between these things. It's like, can you? where's the sin in you? You can't distinguish between the sin of the body either, right? And yet we acknowledge it's not there. So um, I'm just convinced now that there is no body and soul as if they're two separate things or uh, you know, the, the Caldosian uh, error of Nestorius, uh, you know, two planks glued to each other. We are spirits that are bodies, and we are bodies that are spirits, and our deaths are miraculous curses that are unexplainable to us, aside from our own rebellion against God. And the more that I think that's true, the more I think it's true, and the more I love it, and the more I wish Christians had a way to say it, because it's the counterpunch to so much of this Eastern stuff that is stealing people and their minds and their belief in creation through paying better attention to the body than we do. Uh, that's a lot. Someone accused me of heresy. Bring me up on charges quickly. <laughs> well, okay, so I'll, I'll give a warning and then maybe a, an encouragement. Hmm. So the there's this wild text. It's in the Gospel of John where it says that that the devil put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. Hmm. And as close as I can figure, that's that's one of the most specific texts that tells how the the demons can in fact interact with us mm -hmm. and and what that if nothing else that ought to give us a warning that these thoughts while we cannot identify the origin of these thoughts that that sh we should be there should be a caution so as we're trying to find where the thoughts came from they could have been generated from our from me mm -hmm. they could have been generated uh from 
something outside of me, and they could have been generated from the, the malevolent spirits. Yep. It could have been generated from the devil himself, which is a, a broader warning always, not only as we are kind of trying to identify the source of our thoughts, but even in the sort of broader question about how do I how do I identify what is me and and my own self so so that we do not start with the idea that that I think therefore I am we we right completely reject that idea but here's the, so here's my encouragement for you I want to add something to your meditation on this and and I want you to press this direction do you remember how in the formula of concord they you we have article 7 and article 8 and Article 7 talks about the Lord's Supper, and Article 8 talks about the person of Christ. And one of the accusations of the, the Reformed towards the Lutherans is, well, the body of Christ can't be on the altar because a body can't be at two places at once. And the Lutherans' response to that was, wait, you're, you are, you're doing theology backwards. <laughs> Jesus puts his body on the altar so there must be the body <laughs> yeah. can be on the altar, and therefore, yeah. we have to understand the two natures of Jesus yeah. according to the word that that he says. It it can do what he says it does. This is how Paul can say, "You are now seated in heaven with Christ." Well, like, so it's so, not so, fancy talk. Like we're there so, physically. So, uh. so this is the. So, what can our bodies do? Uh. And this, and this is the. So, for the scripture question, this is, I think, the direction that we would want to think, especially towards the first article, is that how can I understand myself such that I can be joined to another? Yeah, yeah. So according to marriage, marriage yeah. the two become one flesh. Yeah. According to Christ, that I can live in Christ and Christ lives in me. Mm-hmm. So that there's a mystical union and there's a marital union. And that so that there's a filial union too. Right. right? And I don't wonder, I mean, I don't, you know, you were talking about how you imagine your hands and it's less like the edge of your fingers and more like a cloud around your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but even as you hold your children, you know, mm-hmm. how, how this, this is an extension of you. And I don't wonder how that even yeah. is different from bonding. a mom holding her child versus a dad holding their yeah, child. It is different, but the bonding there is real. I think it's absolutely real. This is also why holding hands before you're ready to get married is a way to get stuck with someone you don't want to be married to. Like literally, you're going to stick. It's glue because there's there's exchange going on, and, and we think it's just physical. And it's like there's no just physical for humans, and there's no just spiritual for humans. Right. And so back on to put it in the heart of Judas, like, like I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I just don't think that that is as – symbolic a phrase like like we're like well it's not in his beating heart well yeah you sure like like i know that i know that like the liver and the gut at this point scientifically has more to do chemically with our brain than we know about with our heart but are are you so sure like that we figured it out and the heart isn't indeed on some you know beyond epigenetic beyond you know first level electrical stimulus direction the seat of, um, how would I say it? Uh, uh, a place that influences thoughts. I gotta say it that way. I don't want to say seat of, but the place that influences thoughts. There, there is when the devil put it into the heart of Jesus. It was never. I'm sorry. When the devil put it into the heart of Judas, it was never just a thought. It was never just a spiritual idea. It was his body. At the very least, electricity running through his brain. At the very least. 
and and so this this idea that we're separate that's the gnostic evil man and you're right in tying it to nestorian aka zwinglian sacramentarian teaching you're absolutely right in tying it there uh the question i guess is a little bit you know lutherans like to say we don't believe that but i'm not so sure we don't believe that uh especially when it comes to our own life in christ you tied that in real nice Right, that, that that this, and for me, it's that he's ascended and we're in heaven with him. You go the other direction, like when you're chewing on Jesus, and he goes in your mouth, you chew on him, you swallow him. Like, does he stop being Jesus at that point? Is the bread when's the bread stop being Jesus before he becomes one with you? And on what basis do you make that claim? And the only one I've ever heard is it's gross. Okay, interesting, cool, yeah. Um, you know, a taboo gut reaction. Ah, gut reaction. You're thinking with your stomach. But your brain, your brain is supposed to be doing the thing. See how it just begins to overlap. When the gospel is that his body is God, and now his body is you. Here, eat him. Like all food is you. It's you. Now his, his flesh is your flesh. His spirit is your spirit. You are one with him no matter where you go. And when you're talking about confidence that you know, you are not in and out of the faith all the time. Like every day, I don't know if I'm really believing enough. Like there's nothing like it. Well, I, I, Jesus is in me and I don't have to feel him. I felt him on my tongue. Now I don't have to feel him. He's in me. I can just believe it. And yeah, am I going to doubt it? Yes. But when preachers start saying, no, no, just believe it, man. You know, stop fighting. Believe it. Um, there's some power in that. There's some courage in that. And it's tied It's tied to believing this, this first article world is here and that Jesus joined it. Right. I don't know. I, I rambled there a little bit, and I just realized, man, I don't know how how much we got set back by the restart. I have got about ten minutes left. That'll take us to a forty-five minute podcast, which is really underselling your value, Brian. So I've talked too much. So, um, no, that's. I mean, so I mean, maybe just a, the, the the theological principle is is there, and that is that I have to understand myself in such a way that all the promises of God to me can be true. So so faith is saying that they are true. But our anthropology is what we kind of what we're talking about here is saying that they can be true. So that I am such that God has created me to be such a being that I can be that I can be joined to another hmm. and they can and I can become one flesh with them. I want and to, God uh... has created me in such a way that the Holy Spirit can dwell inside of me. And God has created me in such a way that that when he remakes me in the resurrection, I will be fit to see him face to face. And and that is really quite stunning. And so that I so that I and you and, and also every person that I that I meet and see, every other person in the world is is the same in this, that we have this great fellowship. And so there is this way that there's this way that our own that the promises of God force us to sort of I don't, I don't know it, it, it kind of breaks down these these barriers that we always want to build up to the to the other to the that it's the it's the well here's the simple way to talk about it it's the me and of the catechism so so have I I'm not sure I've mentioned this to you when Luther takes on the creed. And he says, I believe in, and then Luther says, I believe that. So you have that switch from the from the into the that, which is the, the move from the person to the work. But but there hmm. then Luther will give us these me ands. So God created me and all creatures. 
So the first article puts me in fellowship with all creatures. And then in the third article, he, he will give to me and all believers the forgiveness of sins. He will raise me and all the dead hmm. so that I have this fellowship with all dying humanity. I have this fellowship with all other Christians. And then with the second article, which has to do with the death and resurrection of Jesus, it's just me. <laughs> He's, it's, it's me and Jesus, I suppose. So that there's a way that we are bound up in these various different fellowships and these things are very these things are real there's that there's a reality to to marriage there's a reality to our even our human sexuality there's a there's a reality to our family there's a reality to our congregation to our church family there's a reality to the place where we live all of this hmm. and um and the scriptures you know they 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 set us then in these places in a very real way and one of the dangers of I don't know, technology, I suppose, is that it tries to unbody us. That's fair. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens when the technology becomes part of the body. I don't think that's that far off either. The, you, there's so many things you just said, Brian, that were, were super interesting. I might be his own. Is that is that the me and Jesus moment when he actually changes to the, the subjective or the, the subject of, of, of me? So there's, there's a result is that I might be his own. So now, you know, he saved me in this. He's done this to me and them so that I might. And now I'm alone. What am I supposed to do? Belong to him. That's it. That's yeah. it. Be his own. Live under him with everybody else. It's awesome. The spirit inside of us. You ever wonder why the resurrection of the dead is in the third article? If the spirit's just inside of us, like somewhere, as opposed to every single last atomic edge, I, I, I think there's something there. I don't want to like die on that hill yet, but where, where I want to die is the place where, where even the way you said it at the start, you know, to, that the body can be joined to another. There is no human body that is not already joined to at least two. Uh, Jesus' body was only joined to one. No, but two. And in the two, all. So that when, when the Bible talks about Jesus being in the loins of Abraham, again, this is not fancy schmaltzy symbolic talk. This is like the real deal. Like the DNA, epigenetic stuff we were talking about earlier. You are your parents. You don't have to like it. I'm not saying you should. We're all sinners. You should probably not like any of your parents. You should be merciful to them and love the office. But you are your parents. You are Adam. We're, we're, we are joined. And and the lie of I think therefore I am right, that lie is that I'm not joined. That the th thought itself is that I am defined by not being joined, as opposed to you know it would really be I am therefore I am or I move therefore I am I'm born therefore I am. It's 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 this, well and and here this is where this gets practical because, so there's so much damage that's being wrecked by the lie that that there's this hard distinction between body and soul, this Gnostic thing. And, and, and that lie is one of the pre presuppositions of the sexual revolution, which says it doesn't matter what I do with my body. And so we had just have people that are just devastating themselves, mm -hmm. their, their, their identity, their selves, their lives, their souls, their whatever by illicit sexual activity. And, but but they, we don't even recognize how far the damage goes. I mean, there's just I mean, there's millions of, of murdered babies. Yeah. That's bad yeah. enough. Yeah. But you get this business of divorce. So okay. So so say I'm sitting here and I'm trying to figure out 
who I am and who I am is intimately connected to, to where I came from. And the Christian says, look, I, I came from God and I came from my parents, from the unity of my father and my mother. So I have this identity. Now the unbeliever has to say, well, I don't know anything about God, but I do know something about my parents. But here, this union that has created me, now it ends in divorce or now there's anger or there's frustration or now there is even the choice of my mom not to kill me. So I came from the act of another person's will or something. And, and now, and this, this threatens to, to shape my own thinking about myself. I mean, the, 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 the damage of all of this stuff, it, it is, it is profound. It is really yeah. profound. Yeah, it is. And, and spiritually, you know, with all that ramification it racks, it sends you on a justification quest that is inside. And Christians, when you talk about faith, you usually mean this, and you shouldn't. You should be meaning Jesus is outside of you and can't be beat. But we don't. We, we Modern Protestant Christians particularly have turned faith into an inside path of justification, not unlike the Buddhist attempt to climb a mountain through very, very careful practice. And as much as I love what I've learned about my body from what they did for the last several thousand years, um, I, am, I really despise the idea that in that inward focused combination of understanding the mess that is my head and my gut and my arms and my legs that somewhere in there I've got to find hope you got to be kidding me you got to be kidding me there's a man outside of me whose body is risen from the dead and I get to eat him now as bread and wine I'm going to take that one to the bank man I will take that I will take that I will take that Brian I got to go we're looking at houses we're crazy we're thinking about buying property in <laughs> Illinois is the dumbest move we could possibly make but we like it here we like the people and all that well, stuff Well good so, God be praised you So have I, it. I got to run we got to do this again very soon and and maybe try to get back to the end of the world I'm ready for that I'm ready. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks for your time. You got it. Yes. Namely, you know about the Well. City's inhabitants are losing their minds. Trigger warning. This ain't a safe space. Compulsory insanity. By going. Yes, completely, utterly. If you're doing what everyone else is doing, you're doing it bad. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please?